Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig?
Today is Wednesday, April 26, 2023. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. The NAACP is suing the state of Mississippi over their decision to expand a state police presence in the state capitol. Also on today's show, the Virginia senator, uh, the head of the uh, the head of the Senate there in Virginia, is calling out fellow Democrats, saying, "Why are they trying to get rid of her?" In leadership, Louise Lucas will join us right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Also, we will uh, have our second tribute uh, to Harry Belafonte. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Michael Eric Dyson and others will join us today on the show. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Folks, we've been telling you for a long time about how Republicans across the country, including Mississippi, are using their power uh, to meddle in the affairs of local government. Well, there in Mississippi, what Republicans are doing is they're literally expanding a state police force. They're expanding a state police force to cover what is called the capital area. Now, here's the deal. That's where most whites in Jackson, Mississippi uh, live. And so uh, this has been quite contentious. The NAACP has filed a lawsuit against the state of Mississippi as a result uh, of this. Now, the NAACP says the law will create a separate and unequal policing in the majority black capital and violate the principles of self-government by taking control of the police and some courts out of the hands of residents. The new law allows people convicted in the capital complex improvement district court to be put in a state prison rather than in a city or county jail, and the judge of the new court is not required to live in Jackson and is going to be appointed by the Mississippi Supreme Court Chief Justice. Now, again, white Republicans control the legislature. Democrats and black folks control Jackson, Mississippi. 
which is 83% of the residents in Jackson, they're black, the most significant percentage of any major city in the United States. The NAACP's lawsuit seeks to block the law that violates the Voting Rights Act and the 14th Amendment. Joining me now from Heidelberg, Mississippi, is State Senator Juan Barrett. Senator Barrett, glad to have you on Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, this is, first of all, what rationale have these white Republicans given for doing this? Well, thanks, Roland, for having me on. Uh, it's, it, it is indeed a pleasure to be on your show. But, you know, Roland, when we talk about House Bill 1020, you know, think in their mind that they was thinking that, you know, it was the intent of it, I think, was pretty good. But but how it was done and, and, and the way that they did it uh, basically, you know, was against uh, what should have happened. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if, if it's something that you want to help me with, I think that you should talk to me about what it is that you want to help me with and how we can fix this together. But I don't think any of those things happen. And I think that's that's the gist of the problem is that nobody was really brought to the table um, to wanting to help the city. If, if you want to help me with police, then let's talk about this together. If you want to help me fix my crime in my city, then let's talk about this. But don't just come to me with your plan and say, here's how I'm going to help you without me having any input on it. Okay, you. but you said you said the intent was good. What's the intent? I mean, well, the, why are they actually well, doing this? Well, are they the suggesting was, that the existing think, police force, the existing court system doesn't work? I think the, 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 the intent was that, you know, we have to realize that, you know, Jackson was... Is, you know, the police department there is declining because other departments and, and the Capitol Police are offering officers more money, so they're leaving. So there is a need um, to help with the, with the policing there. I think the courts... Okay, so here's the deal. Okay, hold up. So if the Capitol Police are offering more money and that's the deal, well, why in the hell the state, why does the Mississippi just give Jackson more money for its police department? Okay, that's a question that I mean that's an answer that we hadn't got that's that's a question that we hadn't gotten an answer for either. And that's what I'm saying, you know, if if you want to help, then 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 I think that they should have they should have engaged uh Jackson and the people of Jackson, those people that represent Jackson. I think all parties should have been at the table if there's a plan to help. And I don't and that didn't happen. And that's why we ended up where we are now. And that's why everybody is mad about the things that happen. And you talk about judges and you talk about courts and all of these things, you know. It's not right for me or anybody to have the right to vote, but they're not able to have the right to vote. So you're going to appoint people uh, that's going to be, but just going to be my judge, but don't live where I live. So where's my representation? Why, you know, how does my voice count? And these are the problems that, that we're having with this House Bill 1020. Well, I mean, again, I mean, I'm just sort of just still stuck on what is just most basic and fundamental. Are they suggesting that police in Jackson, in the Jackson city of Jackson are not doing the job, so therefore they need more assistance? Is there, has there been a dramatic crime increase in the Capitol complex. Um, why have a separate court system? So again, there has to be some sort of logic 
or reason or rationale for making this decision? Have they provided you or anybody else any reason why they are doing it? The, the, the rationale that they're using is that they're saying that there is a, a spike in crime. Across the city of Jackson, sure, there is a, a spike of, uh, in crime across the whole city. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. But hold up. But, but Senator Barrett. Here's the problem. Barnett, Barnett. This is not expanding to the, but this is the problem. This is not expanding to the city of Jackson. So my question is, did they provide you or anybody else evidence that there is a spike in crime in the Capitol complex in this area and is covering, is there a spike in crime in that area? Because if it's not, they're trying to use a spike in crime in other parts of Jackson to do this here. So I'm asking in this Capitol complex, did they provide any data that showed there was a spike in crime in that area? I haven't seen any specific data, but that was that was the conversation. That was some of the things that they talked about was a spike in crime. In so it. they offered anecdotal. Now I can say anecdotal data. I can't say that there. I can't say. This is why I'm confused. No, no. What I'm go saying ahead, though go is there has been a spike in crime across all of Jackson, not just not just in certain areas. No, no, no. Areas, no. But, but, no, no but here's my point. But Senator, here's my point. This this bill does not cover all of Jackson. I it only extends police powers in the Capitol complex. So where nearly all of the white residents of Jackson live. So what I'm asking you is, did they provide any data that showed there was a spike in crime in the Capitol complex where this area will be covered? I didn't see any data on that, no. So what they did is they tried to use, oh, there's a spike in crime in all of Jackson as justification to expand a police presence in the Capitol complex, but didn't offer any reasoning to, to why this is done. That, that's like me. That, that's that, that's that's literally like me saying, um, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna put uh, some icy hot all over my body. But my back hurt. Well, why in the hell am I putting icy hot on my feet and my legs when hell I just need it in my back? This this ain't that. This is real clear. So it, here's what it appears to me. It appears to me like the white Republicans in Mississippi want to create a separate police department and a separate court system in the area where nearly all white folks in Jackson live. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, and that's what it looks like, you know, according to everybody else. That's, you know, that's exactly what it looks like. But again, I, I, you know, I'm just going back to, to the, you know, some of the discussions and the debates and things that we had um, in the Senate uh, legislature. And that goes back again to what I said, you know, if you truly, again, if you truly was concerned about the crime in the state, in the city of Jackson, in the capital city, if you're concerned about all of these things, then let's talk about all of these things and let's, let's talk about 
a specific area or or anything like but let's talk let's fix all of it because you know as well as I do you know if if you're not willing to fix all of it then then how are we really going to fix anything if we don't take care of all of it and and that's the problem that we have and, and you know with the judges and all of that you know it's only to a specific uh, area like you said in the city of Jackson but if we're going to fix crime in Jackson let's fix all of it you know, to me, Mark, Roland, you you, you talked uh, about obviously. Um, you talked about putting ice and hot on you. And look, while you have this going on, but while this is going on, you also have these Republicans who want to take control of the water system after the mayor went to D.C. and got the six hundred million dollars, and they offered no help to get the money. But when he went and got the money from the Biden administration. Now all of a sudden they interest they're not interested in the water system. Exactly. We have a lot of problems, Martin Rose. And, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, these same white Republicans have been trying to take control of the airport too, as right? There was a there, there was a, and a, there was a some legislation passed before or, or was attempted to be passed before where the uh, Jackson Airport, yes, would be controlled by someone else other than the city of Jackson. So what this really sounds like is white Republicans in Mississippi don't like the fact that black folks are running a major city. So what they're now doing is playing uh, bully and using the powers of the legislature to strip the city of a lot of its uh, assets. And correct me if I'm wrong, this court system, the residents of Jackson are paying for that and not the state, correct? That's correct. So they're creating a new pol expanded police force and an on-court system and the residents of Jackson, 83% white, got to pay for it, but the white Republicans not putting any extra money into it to pay for it, but they want to control it. Yes. Uh, you know, would we, would we do you support this NAACP lawsuit? Do I support the lawsuit? Yes, because I think it, it's you know it's it's unconstitutional. Um, but again, you know we'll have to see what happens in the courts again, uh, how this plays out in, in the courts, you know. But but going in, you know, a, a lot of us knew that a lawsuit was going to be pending um, on the passage of this bill. Uh, but again, again, Roland, I, I have to say that in my opinion, in my opinion only, is that, you know, the, in, the, initial, the initial thing was, okay, let's help the city of Jackson with their crime. Let's help the city of Jackson with their policing. Let's help the city of Jackson if we can make these things better. I think as it went along, then I think some of the things that should have happened didn't happen. And I think that's why we end up with the results. Or that's why we end up with the product that we have now. I don't think there was enough discussion with the leadership. I don't think there was enough discussion with the residents. I don't think any of these things was enough before we came back with the plan 
if we truly were going to help the city of Jackson with the crime in Jackson, not just related to a specific area in Jackson. Senator Barrett, uh, I don't believe for a second this was ever about helping Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, this the, the, That was a ruse. This was about protecting white residents in Jackson, and they don't give a damn about the rest of Jackson, but they do love those sales receipts, uh, sales tax receipts that come from Jackson that pays for all kind of stuff for the rest of those white legislators in their broke-ass districts, so they don't mind black folks uh, paying for that stuff. So really what they want Jackson, Mississippi is to be sharecroppers for the rest of the city, and they control the most important parts. And so we'll see how this uh, lawsuit plays out. Uh, Senator Barrett, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Got to go to a break. We'll be back. I'll talk about this with my panel right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Black Star Network is a real um, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? I lost my daughter. I didn't know where she was. So I had to figure out how to survive, how to eat, how to live. I don't want to go into to the Got details because she's here, first of all. She may not want me telling that story. But uh, um, possession of her, we, the family broke down, fell apart. I was homeless. Uh, I had to figure out I, I didn't have a manager or an agent or anybody anymore, and I'm the talent. <laughs> so I got to figure out how to be the agent. And mm. I had to figure out how does business work. everybody it's your girl Lunell. so what's up this is your boy earthquake hi i'm chaley rose and you're watching roland martin unfiltered
tribute uh and so uh to the control room look for pull the audio down please thank you and so to, uh, for the control room uh look for a note because uh, we have a special guest uh who wants to come on live let me pull up my panel right now uh joining me now robert patillo host uh Pe- people passion politics news and talk uh 13awak in atlanta he's coming to us out of dc rebecca carruthers vice president fair election center to, to, uh, to run walker founder of context media uh rob i'll start with you i mean let, let, look Today in Montana, you got the Republicans that silenced a transgender elected official because they didn't like the fact that she disagreed with them. You got Republicans in Tennessee that expelled two black members, uh, and they still hate the fact that they're still talking. Uh, you got you got in Tennessee getting rid of uh, a uh, independent citizen-run police accountability board. You got in other states where Republicans in Florida, Alabama, they pass bills that say local people cannot get rid of Confederate monuments. What you have here are Republicans who do not care about, who do not care that other people vote. Their whole deal is we got power. We can do what the hell we want to do. And we really don't care whether y'all like it or not. That's what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. So the NAACP should be filing lawsuits against Republican legislatures all across the country. And you can add to that in Wisconsin, where the Republican legislature may have threatened once to get the supermajority, uh, they will try to impeach the newly elected Democratic Supreme or uh, progressive Supreme Court justice there. North Carolina, where you had a Democratic state senator uh, who switched from Democrat to Republican uh, there. And so now they will be able to override any veto from the governor. What we are seeing is the results of the DNC neglecting state-level parties for the last 15 years. Ever since Howard Dean uh, was DNC chairman, we have seen a consolidation of power were in D.C. taking money away from state and local uh, Democratic parties, away from local organizing commissions, etc. And because of that, during the period of time that President Obama was in office, we saw 1,044 seats nationwide flip from Democrat to Republican. So even though Republicans have not won a popular vote since 2004, and that's the only popular vote they've won since 1988, even though the uh, Democratic 50, 50 Democratic senators represent uh, 41 million more uh, voters than the 49 Republicans senators, even though you uh, have a House of Representatives that represents millions of more on the Democratic side of the aisle than the Republican side of the aisle, they've been able to consolidate power in these state and local governments. And that's where we're seeing much of the very extreme legislation coming from. And remember, when you have a, a uh, controversy between the states, that is ultimately decided by the Supreme Court. What else have uh, Republicans been doing? President Trump uh, nominated more and uh, confirmed more uh, federal justices or federal judges under the uh, under uh, 
McConnell uh, than any other president. We see a 63 majority on the Supreme Court. So their plan is to put this extreme legislation in place on the state level, have it ratified by the Supreme Court, and then spread it nationwide. And then you never have to worry about getting a majority in Congress or getting a veto-proof majority or filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. You can do national legislation from the state level, and that's what we're seeing now. Rebecca, again, for all the simple Simons out there who run their mouths and, oh, Rollerball, you trying to get black folks to vote Democrat, let me remind these idiots, when you file a lawsuit and you file it in federal court, those are federal judges. Those federal judges are appointed either by Republicans or Democrats. They're confirmed by the Senate, whether led by the Republicans or Democrats. This battle right here is likely going to be playing out in federal court because why? The NAACP is using the Voting Rights Act as a legal basis for the lawsuit. So for all of the idiots who say voting doesn't matter, hmm, I bet you don't want one of those Trump judges hearing this lawsuit. Well, this particular lawsuit is going to go through the Fifth Circuit. Um, but, well, you had your previous guest on, um, the senator from Mississippi, I believe Senator Barnett. I wanted to hear him actually call out and use the actual word of what's going on here. We're seeing an apartheid system that's happening in front of us in Jackson, Mississippi. And like you said, this is something, um, if it's not checked, um, it's going to um, spread across the South and even spread into other parts of the country, even beyond the South. Um, to have a, uh, a institutionalized, systematic regime of segregating resources based upon race, whether it's the courts, whether it is dealing with their airport authority, or it's dealing with um, um, law enforcement or a new police uh, force, you know, I'm afraid that this is also going to extend to the schools. This was this is going to extend um, to the sewer and water and other in uh, other public things that are happening in Jackson. But to me, that's very alarming. And I want people to actually use the words of actually what we're seeing happening in front of us. This is apartheid that's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. Toron, I keep warning, black folks. Don't think for a second you're not going to see similar actions taken in other cities all across the South where black folks are in control. This is them running the game plan. Um, to my sister's point who just spoke, um, she's absolutely right that what we're seeing is sort of like a, uh, a vestiges of apartheid, but it goes back even further than that. What I see happening goes back to 1877 after Reconstruction when the federal troops were pulled out of the South, because before that, there were stopgaps in place to allow black judges, black legislatures, um, not black senators, but people on that level to regain power after the end of the Civil War. Immediately when federal troops were pulled out of the South, you saw the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan, and you saw voter intimidation. You saw basically destruction of black schools. Um, lynchings of black people, um, intimidation. So this is what's happening. And what I think has to, what people really have to understand is, you mentioned voting earlier. What people have to understand is that people got to get out of this idea of thinking that federal and presidential elections are the only ones that matter. 
it's the elections that are unsexy that people have to pay attention to, whether it's the school board elections, whether it's federal, whether it's state judge elections, whether it's your city council person election, because this is what's happening. Um, what the situation in Jackson, the, the, the population of Jackson is 85% black, 15% white. Basically, what they're doing is trying to create a private police force specifically for one specific area. And that's a trial balloon, I think, to expand sort of like segregated policing where you have black people policed in one way, white people policed in another. And you're right, this is happening all over the South. We had a situation in Atlanta where the, the uh, a part of Atlanta called Buckhead, which is rich, white, mm -hmm. pretty affluent, tried to succeed from the rest of the city of Atlanta to create their own police force and their own city council. So what you're seeing is, what to, to what the brother said earlier, is that you're seeing right-wing legislatures throw up these trial balloons to see what will stick and to coalesce um, people around these ideas, whether they win or they don't. But what you do is you have a base of voters who you can scare into saying, if you don't vote for this, the black boogeyman is going to come take your kids and the black boogeyman is going to invade your house. And these things are very effective when it comes to voting. So you can ignore it at your peril. Well, I say this to the black folks who are watching. The white boogeyman is here. And the white boogeyman is the Republican Party. And, and, and we can walk down this thing. And I'm telling y'all, that's why I wrote my book, White Fear. They are, this ain't no dress rehearsal. They are actively engaged in trying to absolutely limit the power of black people. And what they're doing in Jackson, they want to take your money and fund their stuff. Now, coming up next, I'm going to show you how Democrats in Virginia do not want a black woman in charge of the Virginia Senate. We'll explain in two minutes. You on YouTube? Be sure to hit the uh, be sure to hit the um, uh, like button, folks. Uh, also, support us in what we do. Download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, support us by supporting our Bring the Funk fan club. You're checking money orders can be sent to PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And as I said, don't forget to get my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Available from Ben Bella Books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, Chapters, Books A Million, Target. You can also download your copy on Audible. We'll be right back. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. An angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, 
whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Black TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. What in the hell is going on in Virginia? All right, so here's the deal. There are elections uh, in this November. Right now, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, is the governor. Uh, Democrats, uh, by slim majority, are in the minority in the House, but they control the Senate by slim majority. Now, Louise Lucas, state senator, is the leader there uh, in the United States, excuse me, in the Virginia Senate. Yeah, she has been on a rampage on Twitter in the last 48 hours calling out fellow Democrats who she say are trying to take power away from her to run the Senate. I wanted to find out what the hell is going on, so we called her. She joins us right now. Sarah Louise Lucas, glad to have you back on the show. So, all right, what, so what is the deal? You, you would think that um, Senate Democrats, House Democrats will be aligned trying to hold on and control the legislature to stop some of the crazy stuff from Governor Glenn Youngkin. 
yet you're facing primary challenges? Yes. Well, let me give you the backdrop of this. You know, with the uh, redistricting, we ended up with a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans coupled in districts with their own colleagues. Republicans were coupled with Republicans and Democrats were coupled with, with Democrats. Well, most of the Republicans were able to sit down and talk about it, and some of them just retired so that the other person could run so that they wouldn't have these bloodbath kind of primaries between them. Well, the only two that were left coupled was my opponent, who represents currently the 5th Congressional District, and myself, who represents the 18th Senatorial District. Well, some of my colleagues decided that they were going to put their names on an invitation for my opponent, who happens to be Black, and thought that I would be okay with that. And, I said, and they said, well, it's not an endorsement. We just hosted a fundraiser for, her, for, for him. I said, how the hell is that not an endorsement? You lend your name to a fundraiser and you don't think that's an endorsement? When the funds that he will uh, 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 get from that fundraiser will be directed at trying to defeat me? And so I took it personal because, for one thing, I currently serve as the president pro tem of the Senate. So I preside over that body. I am in line to be number one in the Senate because my number one and number two, who I'm tied with colleagues, are both retiring. So with becoming number one and the ranking member on almost every committee that I serve on, I'm in line to be chair of Senate Finance and Appropriation. It will be the first time in the history and, of this And that's the real deal. That a black person... It's the money. That a black person... It's money. It will be the first time in the history of this world. 400 and some years that a black person will be chair of finance. I, in 2019, I became the first African-American and first woman to be chair, I mean, to be president pro tem. And so I'm about to make history again by coming the, the number one senator and also becoming chair of finance. But Youngkins and his group, of course, would prefer that I not chair that committee. And what you got to keep in mind now, even though the person who's fundraising they are want to, to, to assist with is black like myself. If they are able to defeat me, every person who was on that invitation stands to move up because they will take one of the positions that I currently hold. That's it in a nutshell. All right. So, so, so again, so for the folk in the back who didn't quite understand it, you always follow the money in politics. And so if you head up, head up the appropriation committee, can't no money get spent in the state of Virginia unless it comes through your committee. It's got to come through that committee. That's the only way it gets out of there. But see, in, in, in the Senate, we have responsibility for finance, which raises the money, and appropriation, which spends the money. And we've never had a person of color to chair that committee in, in the history of the Commonwealth. And because I've managed to stay and get the kind of seniority I have, I'm next in line. And let me tell you what the difference is here. My opponent is not a true Democrat. He, matter of fact, people have referred to him as a Republican. He came into the Senate in 2016. I got to the Senate in 1992. He cannot live long enough to get the seniority that I have. So he cannot ever get to the position where he can wield the kind of power that I will be able to have 
come January 2014. And so I see where Yunkins has already decided he's going to get a group out of Atlanta who's going to come and, 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 and help with getting out the vote here in Virginia. And that is as much to help, the, help uh, my opponent, I almost called his name, as it will the Republicans. They want to get a big turnout because I am the target. Right now, there are only five members of the Senate who are African-American in the first place. And that's because Bagley, who was in the House of Delegates, was elected to Jennifer McClellan's seat. And so if they get rid of one of us, then there will only be four members of the Senate who are African-American. Roland, what I said, what I want Doesn't, doesn't this also check... I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, finish. No, what I was going to suggest to you is that I am the person who's in the position to deliver for the 18th Senator District. It's a no-brainer for anybody to elect somebody who's only been in the Senate since 2016, and I've been there since 1992, have the seniority, in a position to deliver for the district, for the region, and for the state, for that matter, for them to try to even think about taking me down, except that they don't want me to be in charge of that committee. But my opponent can't get there anyway. Well, look, first of all, but here's the deal. First of all, again, you, you, it's, look, I don't, I don't spend time, to be perfectly honest, on individual races. I'm looking at this from a much larger perspective. And the larger perspective is the whole state. And the, rea the reality is, and, and also in terms of, in terms of exercising a power. Uh, and that's all, that to me is, 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 is what is critically important because when you start, when we talk about black state, black folks on the state level, it goes to who's in charge. The reality is right now, uh, your Senate pro tem, Don Scott, is uh, head of the House Democrats. Uh, That's correct. If they regain the House, goes to stand. He's going to be the number one. He's gonna be, he'll be the top Democrat in Virginia. You'll be the top Democrat uh, in uh, uh, in the Senate. Now you got two African Americans who basically are the top Democrats in the state of Virginia. There that you got it. It's going to be a huge deal going into going into twenty twenty four in the presidential election year. Absolutely. And of course, you got. It's a Senate race on the ballot, correct? Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Because you got Senator That's Tim Kaine, right? No, no, Tim Kaine is not coming up got here. Right. But you have what we have all the... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Is, is it Kane is it 24? Yes, Kane Kane is 24. Yes. Right. So what I'm saying is, if, if Democrats, main, if you win your primary... Democrats maintain the Senate in Virginia if they're able to flip. So, look, y'all are down how many seats uh, on the House side? I think it's only four. Like, if I, if like four seats. Says, and you're only up, and, and you're in the only Senate, up how many seats on the, the Senate side? Well, in the Senate right now, we currently sit at 22-18, 22 Democrats, 18 Republicans.
So, again, for the people who are listening, if Democrats are able to win those seats in the House, you will likely have an African-American running the Senate, an African-American running the House, like I said, of Virginia, the cradle of the Confederacy, going into 2024, where, you, where you're going to be trying to basically uh, combat Glenn Youngkin Republicans, MAGA Republicans, who are going to be all out for Donald Absolutely. Trump. That's, so Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. This thing is broader than just Senate, Senate District 18. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's gotcha. unfortunate that, that, and of course, I know uh, uh, any number of groups and organizations have tried to talk to my opponent to say, look, not only is this important to the district, but this is history in the making. And he said, I don't care anything about that. Gotcha. All right. Well, look, we'll see what happens. The primaries in June. What's June what? The primaries on June 20th, but we have early voting starting on May 5th and it goes to June 17th. And so I want everybody out there who's eligible to vote on for this primary to come out and vote for me because this is all about voting in your own self-interest. A vote for me is a vote for them. And I'm here to do the work for the people of the 18th Senatory oh. District, for the region, and beyond. All right. Sarah so Lucas, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Rebecca. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca, as I, as I was laying out there, again, the implications go beyond a single Senate district in a state. Uh, and, and so again, when you're talking about politics, you got to think about this as moves on a chessboard, not checkers. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to say this um, in my personal role here. You know, I spent about 20 years working in campaigns all across the country, and I've never seen where you have someone's name on a, a fundraiser and that isn't an endorsement. So um, the senator was very clear. There are folks who are actively working against her and don't want to see her in that seat. Um, but bottom line here is that this is like you outlined. This is about power. This is about money. And, you know, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about things impacting black people. And specifically, we talk about black politics. And so folk, what folks really have to think about is what's in the best interest of black folks in Virginia is, in, is the best interest of black folks in Virginia actually having a say on our appropriations and how money is being spent? I would say for black communities in Virginia, that is in the best interest um, to make sure that our black voices are heard, that black voices are respected. And it is, you know, over 400 years in the Commonwealth, this thing has never happened where black folks had an outsized impact and a real impact on how money is being spent in the Commonwealth. Robert, I, I say all the time to folks, the reality is nobody is promised to see anybody can run. That's just the reality, the reality of politics. But it is also important to think about what happens when you do lose seniority, when you do lose access to powerful positions that has an impact on black communities. 
Uh, look, the Virginia Democratic Party hasn't been right since they stole that seat from Justin Fairfax. So let's just be honest. There's there, there seems to be a power struggle going on there, uh, be, uh, always within the party. And I think that when you're looking at a state that should be solidly blue in all elections, you know, Glenn Youngkin should have never had an opportunity to win that seat, regardless of who the Democratic nominee was. But it's this type of infighting, this type of petty uh, personal politics that gets in the way and putting together these type of progressive agenda that's needed so that uh, Virginia can then become that model for the Southeast, the model for the Confederate states. As Virginia goes, North Carolina will go. And Phil, uh, uh, we'll, having Georgia on one side, Virginia on the other side, we should be having enough residual pressure to turn uh, North Carolina and South Carolina uh, Democratic also, as well as parts of Tennessee, but we're not getting that because these state parties are so disorganized at every level, seemingly, that they can't get one foot in front of the other to actually get things done for the, Ameri uh, for the people in their districts. Toron? Um, something the senator said that I found interesting was the fact that her opponent is bringing in outside um, uh, comms people from Atlanta, ironically. Why are people coming in to come to work for her opponent that are not based in the state of Virginia? You know what I mean? Nobody can—this happens a lot, happens, I think, sometimes. It happens, in the it happens all the time. I get it. I get it. But here's the, the thing. I mean, I, mean, I could—like, like, literally all over. No, I get it, but here's the thing. If you don't have people who are connected to Virginia, if you don't have people who can tell the story of what this uh, woman's uh, legacy is in Virginia, and they're not leading that conversation, what happens is you get people who craft messaging that doesn't have anything to do with what's going on. And from what she said about the fact that her role would be to take care of appropriations and to be able to control that, that tells me that whatever's going on, as you said, is deeper than just this one woman, just her opponent, and this one race. This sounds like something that's getting ready to be set up for 2024 to where there's going to be a big enough war chest that can be used to go to any candidate they wanted to go to and to push any agenda that may not have anything to do with the blacks constituents in her, um, in her region and in Virginia. And that's what scares me. And I'm thinking if you're going to fight that, you have to be very upfront about that and get in front of your people to tell them that this is what this is about. It's bigger than me. It's about what's right. going to be benefiting and detrimental to you. All right, folks. Got to go and, to the be right back. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Yep. One more thing. You know, I think it's important to call out anti I, I think it's important to call out anti-blackness here. Like anti-blackness could happen within the Republican Party. It could also happen with the Democratic Party. I think that is very important to point out here that, you know, the values here first is what is in the best interest of the black community. I just wanted to point that out. But, but I think her opponent is black. But you still have uh, other other things at play. This is what, this is what we call politics. Again, but what, I, but what I'm saying saying to people is understand again. Politics is about power, and folk either have it or they want it. I'll be right back. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. On the My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans. Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. I start now. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, 
We're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. On a next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, we talk about a hard, cold fact. Not all health care is created equal in this country, especially if you're a person of color. So many of us Black families, we rely upon each other heavily. A lot of us aren't necessarily sure how to best communicate with our health care providers. How to take charge and balance the scales. Your life may depend on it. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. This is Judge Math. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Mac Wild. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Hannah Miller has been missing from her Waterbury, Connecticut home since March 26. The 16-year-old is 5 feet 1 inches tall, weighs 120 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about Hannah Miller should call the Waterbury, Connecticut Police Department at 203-574-6911, 203-574-6911. Pros Michelle, one of the founding members of the Fugees, He's headed to prison today, convicted on 10 counts in a scheme to help China influence the U.S. government. Uh, federal prosecutors allege that Low uh, Take Joe, also known as Joe Low, paid uh, Michelle millions to help launder money. Low had allegedly embezzled uh, from uh, a Malaysia-owned investment fund. The alleged scheme involved payments to Barack Obama's 2012 presidential re-election campaign and efforts to convince the Trump administration to extradite a Chinese national. Uh, again, M Michelle faces uh, 22 years in prison. This, this was a really uh, a, a strange trial uh, to run. I, I, people might remember uh, that that was a Super Bowl commercial that uh, Praz had uh, taken. It was like a $5 million Super Bowl ad for this content company where they were going to be making cell phones and the sales from the phone were going to allow create black content. 
And I always thought it was strange because they ran a Super Bowl ad and the site wasn't even live yet. Um, and, and, and in fact, and I remember, and I forget it was called, I think it was called Bl- Blackshire or something like that. And I remember actually getting with their PR people and doing a phone call with him uh, about it. And it seems that all that money that was coming in with the stuff like that, now he going to prison. Ooh, you know, man, um, I actually did a little bit of research on this case a couple of days ago, and it seems to me like, honestly, Proz got in got in deeper than he could really swim in, got in some water that he couldn't really play with. The people who he was associated with are some real heavy hitters, and they were going around buying a lot of influence with a lot of people, whether it was the Kardashians. If you take a look at this brother, this um, this Asian businessman's Rolodex, it's crazy. It's pretty much all the A-listers in social media and in pop culture and hip-hop and stuff. And I think what he was trying to do was trying to figure out a role for himself outside of music as trying to make himself sort of like a cultural ambassador and try to be somebody who can broker deals. But if you don't know the water you're playing with in that, it's best to leave that alone unless you got a team around you who really knows how to navigate that. What he did wasn't really a unique thing as far as like trying to broker influence and be sort of like a fixer to introduce one person to the other. But when you're starting to play around with people who have who don't play on the same level that you play with when they're dealing with governments and they're dealing with presidents. And if you're not in that, if you're not on that level, it's best to leave that alone until you know what you're dealing with. I think he, I'm not saying he didn't do some of the things they are, they convicted him of, but I think he's becoming a fall guy for some other people's influence. Just a mess. Well, look, look, look here. Well, here, here's the deal, Rebecca. Um, you know, this, this guy here cost Malaysia, uh, billions of dollars uh, there were other people who went to jail as well look when you start taking money and you start talking about influence you got to register as a lobbyist of a foreign interest in this country yeah he was in real deep and now he about to head to prison yeah and it's really unfortunate you know i would say for any celebrity any person who wants to get involved with politics especially when it comes with money you really have to make sure, um, like Terrain was saying, you have to make sure that you have folks around you who have experience in that and know um, exactly what they're doing. I mean, we just saw um, um, Congressman Jeff Fortenberry also get in trouble for taking money, I believe it was from a Chinese national that went directly to his campaign. Um, and, you know, so, you know, he got convicted. So it's, you know, we're seeing that the Department of Justice is um, cracking down on this. And I would tell people, especially going into the 2024 election cycle, if you want to raise money for any particular candidate, if you've never done it before, you need to make sure you seek out professional advice because we're seeing a steady increase of foreign nationals and foreign governments actively interfering in our election system. Well, uh, Robert, during the trial, he claimed that he did have the advice of lawyers and accountants. But again, when you start talking about foreign money and elections, you're now in some deep territory uh, that that deals with, again, lobbying, that there are laws against foreign money being involved in elections. Uh, And so uh, this was, you know, the prosecutors laid out a very strong case against him. And it's not as easy, Robert, to simply say, hey, I ain't no dog. So we just ain't never going to get another Fuji's album? Never going to get a reunion tour? Hell, you can hang, you can hang, you can hang, you can hang that world tour up. That ain't happening. 
I, like, I just came from the, the Usher residency out there in Vegas. It's amazing. So the food just could do something like that. But no, Cross wants to pretend that he's part of the Kingpin organization. Now he's done messed up everything for everybody else. That's just being selfish at the end of the day. You got to think about the rest of us who now we're in our middle ages. We're trying to see the old ass that we wanted to see back in the day. I'm not trying to get into Little Gaudi. I'm not trying to get into Little Uzi. I want to hear the music that I like, which includes the Fugees. But now Proz has messed that up. So I call this personally against well, look, I know Lauren Hill like being late. I don't know about 22 <laughs> years late. So we'll see what happens when, <laughs> when they have a sentencing uh, that, uh, that that's going on there. Uh, all right, y'all. Uh, Georgia parents, they are outraged after a school field trip uh, to a slavery exhibit led to a reenactment of a slave auction. W.C. Abney Elementary School uh, school teacher, this is in Dallas, Georgia, took a class of third graders to the, to the Mabel House Plantation. When they arrived, the students were made to stand in a line and hold up cards with prices to reflect a slave auction. A mother of one of the students, uh, Gladys Cleves, said her biggest concern was the school never mentioning slavery would be taught on the permission slip and the false narrative the school portrayed by telling the children that these were nice enslavers who treated the enslaved people like family. Cleves called for diversity, equity, and inclusion training to better inform school officials on handling such situ situations. Uh, Paulding's Cotton School District has not made a public statement about the incident. Well, hell, now you got Republicans trying to get rid of DEI everywhere, Robert. That ain't going to happen. You know, it amazes me. For years, Republicans would use all these euphemisms. They would you know, beat around the bush. Now they literally just say out loud, I want to get rid of diversity. That is our plan. That is what we're working towards. Uh, even in situations like this, they are going back to the uh, the great lost cause narrative of the South. This conceptualization that it wasn't that the South was morally wrong or morally bankrupt in its uh, position on enslavement, but rather it was just a disagreement between, uh, between brothers and the South decided to enact uh, their right as a voluntary union to separate from the United States of America. They are trying to rewrite and sanitize and change, uh, change the hearts and minds of the next generation so that when it's time for that uh, great population shift that we've been talking about, that singularity where they're no longer a majority uh, of the country, but rather just one of many minority groups within the country, they just want to make sure we don't treat them like they treated us. Rebecca? You know, nothing ever good comes out of public school kids or even school kids, um, period. Um, having a um, school lesson, which includes reenactment of, of of slave auctions. I mean, this is not the first time that this has happened um, with the school system, with them trying to have students um, reenact and actually play the part of a slave or do like cosplay as slaves. And so, I mean, teachers got to do better. Like, I don't, I don't even understand, even if that was my school's curriculum, at, you know, if I was a teacher, there's just no way I would ever do anything like that. I mean, this, this is getting out of hand and it's ridiculous. Tell Ron about 20 seconds. Final, your comment on this. All I'm going to say is these people knew what they were doing. They know the history. This is just trying to create this revisionist history like Robert said and everything. And I'm going to tell you right now, if that was my child, I'm coming down there to do some uh, role plays where we're going to play Nat Turner. <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha! All right, y'all. Got to go to break. We come back. Michael Eric Dyson talks here at Belafonte. And we're also going to show you a video that Mr. B did for the folks at XQ America, uh, where he really talked about how this was him withdrawing uh, from uh, the public. Uh, we will show all of that for you as we pay tribute 
uh, to the great Harry Belafonte next on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Next on the Black Table with me, Greg Coffey. We look at the history of emancipation around the world, including right here in the United States, the so-called end of slavery. Trust me, it's a history lesson that bears no resemblance to what you learned in school. Professor Chris Manjapra, author, scholar, amazing teacher, joins us to talk about his latest book, Black Ghost of Empire, The Death of Slavery and the Failure of Emancipation. He explains why the end of slavery was no end at all, but instead a collection of laws and policies designed to preserve the status quo of racial oppression. The real problem is that the problems that slavery in invented have continued over time. And what reparations are really about is saying, how do we really transform society, right? And, and, and stop racial violence, which is so endemic. What we need to do about it on the next installment of The Black Table, right here on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Pastor Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. J Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie. So we continue our tribute to the great Harry Belafonte, passed away at the age of 96 on yesterday. Uh, the, the tributes have continued to pour in uh, from Hollywood to politics all across the globe. Uh, we have um, several videos we're going to share with you today. Uh, we reached out to several different people, so I'll say uh, so today. First, first of all, before I get to my next guest, on tomorrow's show, uh, Father Michael Flager, St. Sabina in Chicago, a longtime friend of Harry Belafonte, will join us uh, to pay tribute to him. And also, a few moments ago, I got a text message, Minister Louis Farrakhan will also join us to pay tribute to Harry Belafonte. That is on tomorrow's uh, show. Right now, we want to go to Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, 
Uh, Doc, glad to have you here. Uh, you crossed paths with Mr. B on, on many occasion. Uh, just share with share with uh, just folks, uh, just just your thoughts, reflections uh, on the enormity uh, of this man and what he accomplished in his ninety six years. Well, thank you, first of all, Brother Roland, for having me. Nobody else is doing what you're doing, given this kind of broad coverage, not only to Mr. Belafonte, but to all the issues that make a difference for us. Uh, I hung out with Belafonte several times, including with you <laughs> and Mr. Belafonte, uh, an extraordinary genius, a man who is arguably the greatest activist artist of the 20th century. And we know Paul Robeson reigned supreme uh, in that century, but he was a student of Paul Robeson's and arguably made an even deeper penetration into the collective conscious of America. Uh, film, through music, and Belafonte said that Paul Robeson taught him, if you can get them to listen to your song, then they will listen to your message. And Dale, as you know, was a global hit that continued to reverberate around the, the world and, you know, Belafonte was able to leverage his superstardom in Hollywood and beyond in defense of average black people. As you know, and many other people don't, Harry Belafonte bought uh, $100,000 life policies for each of Dr. King's kids uh, in the event of his death. And the only reason they had some of that money to be able to scrape together was because Mr. Belafonte looked out for them. He did numerous, numerous, numerous fundraisers. He poured his personal resources into supporting SNCC, uh, SELC, uh, the NAACP, raising millions upon millions of dollars uh, for their causes and was especially close to Martin Luther King Jr. So here was a man till the day he died who was fundamentally committed to the liberation and emancipation of black people unapologetically was able to call out other leaders who failed to take up uh, the cross, so to speak, and move on down the road of black progress. Uh, an amazing, beautiful man. And as you know, Roland had a raucous sense of humor. Uh, that's who Mr. B was. That's who Mr. Belafonte was. And uh, we loved him so deeply. Um, I, was I was sharing with someone today uh, that when we even talk about, people talk about we are the world, and oftentimes uh, they credit Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie, Quincy Jones, but the actual idea started with Harry Belafonte. Um, and that ability of Mr. Belafonte to really be able to margin, you know, to, to marshal the forces of people uh, and make sure that they were, you know, doing the right thing was was unparalleled. And stars uh, took to Mr. Belafonte because they appreciated him. They trusted him. They knew that he was an incredible human being. They knew that he was capable uh, of, you know, generating the kind of interest that was necessary and bringing together conscience and commercialism, uh, bringing together music and transformation. And so that idea of his to speak to the world to raise funds and resources uh, that would address uh, critical social issues uh, was was germane to who his identity was as a public figure. And there's no question that uh, Harry Belafonte uh, was able to do that in so many instances. As you know, not only we are the world, but when he went on and filled in for, you know, um, you know, I think it was Mike Douglas or filling in uh, at night 
for Johnny Carson and the uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's right. Johnny Carson bringing on Martin Luther King Jr. And to see Dr. King up there, you know, having a laugh with uh, with Johnny, you know, with uh, with Harry Belafonte was beautiful. It, it brought out a different side of that civil rights legend. So, you know, Mr. Belafonte brought people together. He he coordinated different efforts, not only in front of the camera, so to speak, but behind the scenes as well. He was a true organizer. The one of the things that I thought was important, he and I talked about this in the first interview that I did with him. He was older than Dr. King. They were supposed to only talk about 20 minutes in a church basement. It turned into four hours. And he had no problem following King. Now, here's why I'm saying that, Michael. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of entertainers. There are a lot of people who are celebrities, people who are in other categories, who want to be at the front of protest. But Belafonte always said he followed King. He was bigger than Dr. King. He was an international star, but he actually said, no, I am a servant to his cause and that is something that I think is often overlooked, especially in a day and age when a lot of folk want to be the ones who want to call the shots and they don't know nothing about mobilizing, organizing, uh, and leading movements. Uh, we just lost Michael Eric Dyson there. We need to call him back. Uh, let me, I want to put my panelists still there. Um, Robert, uh, pick up, uh, pick up on that. Um, again, that point about understanding what your role is. Uh, absolutely. And let's understand just the significance of what Mr. Belafonte did during his lifetime. Very much. Uh, it's uh, mainly unknown that uh, he uh, helped pay for Coretta Scott King's bills for a long period of time, helped to take care of the children, uh, that he was an integral part of the civil rights movement, not an actor who, uh, tried, who was an activist on the side, but a true blue civil rights hero uh, whose form of contribution to the movement was uh, through his arts and through uh, his uh, his views. Music. Uh, we we have that ephemeral generation of musicians and actors and actresses who are so crucial to uh, the, the civil rights movement as it was produced because they were able to introduce that to that mainstream audience to have those voices and those uh, viewers outside of the deep south to see the, the the true humanity of the cause that we were fighting for and I think that uh, the modern day nascent actors of today who may see this as we're fighting for the movement for Black Lives we're fighting for police reform, as we're fighting for voting rights, can take a page out of their books on how to be the best version of an actor, entertainer, activist possible. Rebecca. You know, it's amazing to see that he wasn't a part of the civil rights movement for clout, 
but who is actually behind the scenes doing work and even providing resources. Um, because when we think of movement building, there has to be the ability for folks who are most impacted to have access to resources. And without um, folks like Carrie Belafonte or even um, some of the other, I guess what we call now celebrity activists at that time, if they weren't putting money behind um, some of this work, then the work would not have been able um, to be accomplished. Because when we think of um, Dr. Martin Luther King and the other folks like him, they were doing this full time. It wasn't like there was a GoFundMe or that there were uh, you know, enough fundraisers for folks to be able to just do this work full time, be able to pay their bills, or even pay um, to, to be able to travel. You know, Those are some of the things that we don't think about is um, the cost it took um, for the architects of the civil rights movement to actually have um, the movement. So it's very important. I think even uh, folks today um, could even take a page from that when we see some of our greats like Harry um, Belafonte and figure out, you know, how do we move through these next movements? And like what Robert was saying, like with Black Lives Matter, um, with making sure that the resources are available for the communities and the grassroots activists um, to be able to do the work. Uh, before we went to break, we, we actually lost, I'm sorry, we lost Michael Eric Dyson. We've got him back. Uh, Michael, you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear yes, you. I can hear you. So before I lost you, I, 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 before we, before we lost you, I asked the question, he said he was a servant to Dr. King. He was not trying to be the leader of the movement. He said, <laughs> I want to be of service. That is a different from a lot of folk today who are in the entertainment space who want to be the leaders of movements as opposed to following those who do this work every day, seven days a week. I am so glad you said that, Roland. I, don't, I haven't heard anybody point that out, and this is why it's important. It's not that we have egos, those of us who, quote, do this every day. It's a matter of expertise. We're not going to shoot a jump shot for LeBron James. We're not going to strike a tennis ball for Serena Williams. Um, those people who have uh, interests and even develop some level of expertise in terms of voting rights or struggling against incarceration and like should willingly defer to those who have been informed about the struggles that we are both mutually concerned with. And it is no, it is no slight on any musician or entertainer that they would follow the way of a Reverend Al Sharpton, a Reverend Jesse Jackson, uh, Reverend Bernice King, uh, following uh, Melanie Campbell, uh, following, you know, Joyce Beatty. I mean, the point is that these are people who do what they do every day. They lead organizations. They're elected politicians. They're informed about the deep matters of these issues. I'm not suggesting that no entertainer or artist is or, or athlete is capable of giving leadership once being deeply informed. But the reality is these are things that these people have been doing for decades, and we should have a more united front where those athletes and entertainers bring their notoriety, bring their visibility and spotlight to bear upon the issues that are addressed uh, by these leaders every day. It's an excellent point, and Harry Belafonte had no ego when it came to that. Michael, final comment. Um, the, the thing that I, I find to be fascinating is that when we talk about a lot of other folks who are engaged in the work, 
that they often retire. Um, I remember when he had to battle the king, uh, a couple of the king children, over the selling of personal artifacts, and he was selling them to fund existing projects today. Right. Uh, and there were some issues there. And so, and, and so, the, so the point I'm raising is that he passed away at 96. He was literally, and I know from through our conversations, uh, through talking to Susan Taylor, how he would call Kepra over to the over to his place and was giving giving out orders. Up until his last days, he was still doing the work. Man, he never retired from activism. Never, never retired. I know this personally. I was there sometimes when he called Kefra. I was there sometimes when he called me. Um, he put me on the phone. He's the one who connected me uh, with Colin Kaepernick. He did it personally. This man was deeply involved and invested in social change to the end of his life. This wasn't a one-time thing for him. This wasn't, oh, it'll be sexy and cool and people will think good of me. And then after the spotlight is gone, I'm done. No. This man committed his life in a fundamental fashion to social change until the very end. He would call upon people. He called upon you. He called upon me. He called upon Kefra especially and worked with him. And we would exchange jokes and get down to business. He allowed me to do interviews with him for my book that I wrote about the historic meeting between Mr. Belafonte and Lorraine Hansberry and Lena Horne and Robert F. Kennedy and, and, John, and James Baldwin. And it was an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary meeting that changed the face of the civil rights movement, especially because it forced Robert F. Kennedy to take these issues of race far more seriously. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. And they got up in his face and they did not, you know, bow down to him. That's the kind of person Harry Belafonte was till the end of his life when he could no longer uh, hold that torch. And it is a remarkable testimony to his extraordinary character and his vitality. Michael Eric Dyson, we appreciate you joining us, uh, sharing your thoughts and reflections on the great Harry Belafonte. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you having me. So, Ron, before I let the panel go, I want you to give your thoughts about Mr. B. Um, first of all, I want to give nothing but respect and adoration to that, to that brother. Um, I did some research after his death, um, and you know, people don't realize that Harry Belafonte was a very successful entertainer. That's how he came to the work. That's how everybody got to know him. He had the first number one album on the Billboard uh, top al pop album charts for six weeks. That was Michael Jackson type numbers. Harry Belafonte could have done his music, acted, and been a very successful entertainer for the rest of his life and been very been, been financially set and not did anything. The fact that that man used his platform and his visibility to reach out and give visibility to people fighting for the oppressed, fighting for black people, fighting for black people around the world at a time when you, that was really something that could really put your life in jeopardy, much less your career, shows you the integrity of this man. 
like I said, he could have done this the rest of his life and been just fine. So the fact that he put himself at risk and gave people platforms, I have nothing but respect for that man where he could have lost everything, including his life. So nothing but respect for him. And I want people who may feel the same to be able to look at his example and find the courage to do the same thing. It's not going to be easy, but that work is not done. And we need more people on the present day to do this. Indeed. Toran, Rebecca, Robert, I appreciate y'all joining us today on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Folks, when we come back, we will hear from Harry Belafonte. First, when the great Sidney Poitier presented him the Spingarn Medal at the NAACP Image Awards in 2013, we'll have that next. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Blast Start Network as we continue to pay tribute to Harry Belafonte. on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, we talk about a hard, cold fact. Not all healthcare is created equal in this country, especially if you're a person of color. So many of us Black families, we rely upon each other heavily. A lot of us aren't necessarily sure how to best communicate with our healthcare providers. How to take charge and balance the scales. Your life may depend on it. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. This, but no, I salute you. Let's talk about Mr. B. Uh, just, yeah. just, 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 just share just your thoughts of about 95 years. 95 years young. The first time he appeared in public is with the Charlie Parker band with Max Roach on the drums and Miles Davis, a young brother, playing the horn. That's how far back our dear brother Harry Belafonte goes, man. 
But the very fact that he was willing to stand with Paul Robeson and W.B. Du Bois during the Cold War says it all right there. Mm -hmm. That means he's not a chump. He's not a coward. He's not a conformist. He's not complacent. He's standing up for the truth. And that's what we love about him. We don't have enough folk. We don't have enough black folk, black artists. Stand up for the people. Stand up for the truth. That's what we need. That's why we love you, brother. Also, that continuum. You talk about Paul Rosen. You talk about Dr. King. Yes. You talk about uh, the fight against apartheid. That's right. Uh, standing with Mira McKeever, standing with Anina Simone, Absolutely. but also Nelson Mandela. That's I mean, right. I mean, you talk about, uh, look, I keep telling, reminding people, we are the world originated with Harry Belafonte. Wow, that's true. That's true. And that's with Quincy, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was with Quincy, Quincy Jones. It was, it was, it was Harry. Harry called the manager of Lionel Richie and uh, and um, uh, and Kenny Rogers and said they do a benefit concert. They said, "Hey, uh, how about we do this song?" That's so the, we all the world. Everybody credits right Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie for writing the song, but right. the idea wow. originated with Harry Belafonte. See, this is why we love this brother. <laughs> He's always unveiling things we know not of, and we end up. Isn't that right, my brother? Isn't that right, my brother? <laughs> Um, the shot of the portrait of Harry Belafonte in our Black Star Network studios. Uh, it will remain with that black drape until uh, he uh, is funeralized. Uh, ten years ago, in February, at Los Angeles, Sidney Poitier, the longtime friend and confidant of Harry Belafonte, uh, presented him with his NAACP Spingarn Medal at the Image Awards, I was there, and it was an absolute treat for the crowd to see these two icons on stage together doing what they do. This is Curtis of the NAACP. Wasn't in the script. With us tonight are two legendary actors who changed the landscape of cinema culture. They put their careers on the line by challenging the studios and indeed America on the demeaning way of which people of color were perceived. Throughout their careers, they have distinguished themselves as actors and most courageously as activists. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Harry Belafonte and Mr. Sidney Poitier.
what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to honor the black students by Stuntmen Association. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Stuntman. Can we join? Uh, can I be a stuntman? Can I, can I get in the we are not stuntmen. Certainly <laughs> just the fact that we are standing here is the biggest stunt in the world. Well, you better start while we are still upright. I always listen to my elders. That wasn't in the script before. What script? Many years ago, Sidney and I experienced firsthand the cultural insensitivity that was prevalent in Hollywood against our community and other communities of color. All right, y'all, that was, uh, that was, uh, so that was in 2013 when, again, uh, they, I think it actually was 2012, when um, the, they presented the award to the stuntmen, uh, and you got to see uh, a little of their banter there. It was always great uh, to see uh, those two. A little bit later, I'll show you uh, my photos uh, with uh, the two of them uh, after that. Um, yesterday, um, we, of course, played for you Spike Lee uh, talking about giving us these thoughts and reflections on Harry Belafonte. Uh, and Wendell Pierce of New Orleans, the star of the Broadway production, Death of a Salesman, he shared with us a video where he wanted to um, share his thoughts about the great hair Belafonte. Folks, let's go ahead and play uh, Wendell Pierce right now. What it means to be an artist, the true meaning of being an artist. We give voice to the voiceless. We bring together communities so we collectively can think about who we are, where we've been, where we hope to be, decide what our values are, and then leave and go out and act on them. He was a man of action, a man of great um, courage, because he fought injustices that he knew would jeopardize not only his career and treasury, but indeed his life. I'm reminded of the fact that he flew to Philadelphia, Mississippi with cash in hand for those who were working to uh, register voters in Mississippi. And it was there that he came in the middle of the night and the students of SNCC saved him just in the nick of time before the Klansmen that were in search of him 
arrived at the airport, the small regional airport. Uh, I'm reminded of the work he did with Dr. Martin Luther King in the march on Washington, bringing awareness to the fight of civil rights. He exercised his right of self-determination and taught others how to do that as well. He knew that it wasn't something that was trivial, that it was something of great importance, and that those who do not have our best interests at heart will not give up power willingly, indeed would actually kill for it, as many gave their lives during the civil rights movement. And he knew as an artist that he had a platform, as a star, he had a platform to spread that message and that advocacy to the world. And he taught a great lesson to those of us who he is now passing the baton to, that you have a responsibility to act not only as an artist, but also as an activist. That is a great tradition that he and Sidney Poitier and Paul Robeson and many others have taught us is the legacy of the Negro Ensemble Company and the Free Southern Theater of New Orleans that went around with the civil rights movement that rallied the people. Because while laws can change people's behavior, it is, their, it is art and the performer and the artist that can change people's hearts and minds. So hand in hand with the political advocacy and strategizing that the SCLC and the civil rights movement and those who were fighting the civil rights battles, along with them, it was the artists like Harry Belafonte that gave their time, their energy, their advocacy, their money, and risked their lives so that we all can exercise our right of self-determination. Harry Belafonte taught us and reminds us that there's blood on that ballot box, that people died so that we could have the freedoms that are rightfully ours. And I feel that now that he has joined the ancestors, we owe it to him and it is our duty to follow in his footsteps and do the same. He gave voice to the voiceless and gave music to the unsung heart songs that the common black man and woman feels but never utters he gave voice to that song. And oh, what a beautiful song he sang. May he rest in peace. Folks, uh, that was Wendell Pierce, again, the star of the Broadway hit Death of a Salesman. Yesterday, I played for you the video from 2017 at the National Action Network conference uh, where Herr Belafonte talked about um, ending or brokering this peace, if you will, between him uh, and uh, the King children after he was invited and then disinvited to speak at uh, the funeral of their mother in 2006. In 2018, we did a series of interviews uh, in advance of MLK 50, which focused on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. One of those interviews was, was with Martin Luther King III, where we talked about uh, that breach in that relationship, 
This is what he said about Harry Belafonte. There was so much drama, anger, confusion after your mother's funeral revolving around Harry Belafonte. Mm -hmm. I interviewed you, the Chicago Defender at the time, right. about that as well. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of hurt feelings for a long time. But we were in at Sharpton's conference uh, last year in 2017. And Harriet Belafonte was being honored. Mm -hmm. And he publicly forgave you and the family. Had y'all previously talked about that? Or was that, did that catch you by surprise? And what were you feeling when you heard him say how it was important that that be done? I was, I don't want to say I was totally surprised. We had not spoken, period. Uh, recently, but I've always had incredible respect and love for him uh, because I know what he went through. I know that he brought entertainers and other celebrities to the table in 19, well, throughout the movement. I mean, he and Daddy were close friends, so I, I knew all that. Um, I always expect, uh, and he always personifies the best from his perspective which is generally truth, in my judgment, truth to power. That's, you know, you may not agree with him, but he's telling the truth. And I've always respected and admired that in him. And so I've always loved him, even though the conflict had occurred during mom's funeral. So to hear him say what he said, um, I called him the next day. And I, 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 we had a, a, a rather, it was a short conversation but I was basically telling him how much I appreciated him and loved him and what he continues to do uh, at 80 plus, 85 or 6 plus. I mean, it, he, he's amazing. And that's the way I see him. And, um, you know, I was saddened that we went through what we went through. But, you know, I think we're on the right track. I had had a meeting with him about five years ago, and he talked about addressing it then. He said, look, I'm I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't want these issues to harbor. I don't want, I see, I grew up a little bit with his son, David, and his daughter, Gina, his younger children. Um, I knew Sherry and Adrian. I knew them, the older ones, but I didn't, I knew David because David and I are the same age, and I haven't, we haven't really talked in a long time. I'll see Gina periodically. But um, I just thought that was so powerful, what, what he did, because only he could do that. You know, I was just there to present the award, and... You know, what it showed, uh, was reinforced, was the level of respect and love that he had for Martin Luther King Jr. And that generally gets passed on to the family. And he certainly had that. He did that, never got lost. But somehow there was some disconnection at a, at a, at a, at a certain point. And my hope is that we're back connected together. In fact, uh, I'm going to be going to New York soon, and, and I'm going to reach out to him for lunch. To, All right, folks, uh, going to a break. We come back. Um, Harry Belafonte talks to XQ America with his call to action, talks about history. Also, when he was named an honorary member of Phi Beta Sigma, he also had a challenge for the Sigmas. We'll have that for you next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered as we continue, continue our day two tribute 
to the great Herr Belafonte, who passed away yesterday at the age of 96. You're watching the Black Star Network. Get wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. Dexter Jenkins is a faith-based financial mentor with more than 20 years in the financial services industry. He's passionate about helping families build generational wealth. Even though I'm talking about things like prayer, I'm talking about things about reading the word, I'm talking about things like fellowship. Um, I'm talking to members who are dealing with losing their houses, or I'm talking to members who, because of uh, a lack of the handling finances, they're working two or three jobs. And so what I'm finding is that they're not coming to church because they don't have a handle on their finances. We're talking how to get wealthy through faith and our finances on the next Get Wealthy right here, only on Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Let's just tell the story. I had a dream about him. Really? And I'd seen a movie. I think the film was called Odds Against Tomorrow. I fell asleep. And then the next day, he walked out of the elevator at the Reebok Sports Club. And I said, I just dreamt about you last night. He goes, what did you dream about me for? He told me the story about he had his first deal at the studio. You know, gave me a bunch of his, his uh, achievements and kind of schooled me there. And then we just stay connected. And Gina and I have been friends a long time. Um, so we've had the opportunity to have like very special lunches and conversations um, that mean a lot. A, a lot of people, uh, again, they focus on the activism, uh, but they forget he was uh, a very prominent actor. Right. Uh, he was uh, very much. He was the first artist to sell a million records, black yeah. artist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, had, he was the first dude to have his own. Um, uh, deal like mm -hmm. variety show on television. So and he also he, understood ownership because one thing from, that he from, said is from, yeah. he did not want to get caught financially like Paul Robeson was. Right. He said he wanted to make sure that he was uh, he was he was that was taken care of. Right. Right. So talk about uh, not only just that, but uh, being able to sit with him and listen to him because every, every time I am, you're sitting, you're, you're sort of like when I interviewed Barbara, uh, interviewed Barbara Jordan when Thurgood Marshall died. And she said it was always amazing just to sit at his feet and just to listen to him. Yeah. That's sort of how I look at Absolutely. Uh, Mr. B as 1, well. Absolutely, 1,000%. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've recorded those lunches. 
You know what I mean? It's been that important to me that I want to make sure that I have this memory. And I wish we could have done them weekly. Um, I haven't seen them in a couple of years. What's happening? Um, but, um, no, it's, it's, I mean, you know, man, I mean, when you see our elders when they were in black and white, and then literally in black and white, right, that's how we first saw them. And then you get to see them in color. It really feels like living history and an honor, bro. And, and it makes you feel that you have your responsibility to do your yep. part to keep that going. And so that's what we're doing every day, all day. Folks, um, XQ America, the education initiative um, founded by Lorene Powell Jobs, Ruslan Ali, uh, they had a huge event in 2019. We've worked with them. They partnered with us here uh, at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, and uh, it was a great event that was in New York City. Uh, and uh, there was a moment when uh, everyone went quiet and a video uh, came from Harry Belafonte uh, that, um, again, was mesmerizing. They talked about withdrawing from public life, but also still challenging folk on their commitment to service. Watch this. I am very sorry that I'm not able to be with you in person. Uh, this, as a matter of fact, may be my last hurrah. But I want to welcome all of you here to tell you that I think... Uh, Everything I've done with my life, all that I've tried to do with the many people I've encountered, from Paul Robeson to Dr. King, to Nelson Mandela and others, uh, I've walked my journey. And I don't think that uh, there's much more left for me to say. If you happen to catch me on the street with a camera, or you happen to catch me in some public place, then I'm going to be sure I don't uh, do anything that will embarrass anyone. But I do think that uh, I have made the last walk. Uh, I think I've done my turn. And I just want to get out here and observe the unisys the universe that I am leaving behind with a sense of satisfaction that uh, I've done all I could do and wanted to do and was able to do. And now it's time for those who have inherited the history of the civil rights movement, the history of the struggle, uh, it's now your turn to get out there and bring a rewarding closure to this endless struggle for equality in this place that 
calls America the land of the free. I've often reflected on that statement, the land of the free. Free to do what? Free to be what? Free to say what? Uh, it's not been that free for many of us, but before this is all over, it will be. And a lot of that is dependent. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. On where you take it. Thank you. of our country and one of the greatest artists of the world. Here is... Harry One day, Paul Robeson came there to see me and simply said, get them to sing your song and they'll want to know who you are. You'd see Harry Belafonte on TV, and you could call your neighbor colored on TV and let him know because it was so rare. When Harry Belafonte went on the show with Petula Clark, they touched. Flipped the whole world. People were like, oh, my God. I'm an artist, and I'm not a politician. But like most Americans, I have a great interest in the political and the economic destiny of my country. All my life, the issues of race has been a major part of my thinking. My activism was rooted in the experiences that I had during the Second World War. I felt very strongly that we would have the right to be part of a level playing field. But at the end of the war, we were still being lynched. We were still being harassed and murdered. And so we belonged to everything we could belong to, to overthrow this relentless cruelty of racist oppression. And in doing that, House on American Activities Committee called us on patriotic. A quarantine is necessary to keep it from infecting this nation. Oh, freedom. Dr. King called me and he said, I would like very much to have a chat with you. It won't take long. At the end of almost four hours, we emerged from the room. And I knew then that I would forever be in his service. And I understood the length of our journey and how perilous it would be. And I think Harry motivated Martin in many ways because here's a man who didn't have to get involved and who did. Out of that came the true artistry of Harry Belafonte. It's a great day, and there are millions on the way. Mr. King, do you fear for your life? Artists are the gatekeepers of truth. We are civilization's radical voice. There's a lot of people out here who are really pissed off. Harry gave us a piece of his fire. It gave us all strength. We are angry, we're upset, we look around for some comfort, and we don't find any. River of blood that washes the streets of our nation flows mostly from the bodies of our black children. There's always less. Do something. We are. We are.
Harry did this over and over and over and over and over again. He took all our struggles and made them his own. Anybody had told me that after Dr. King's murder, after the murder of Bobby Kennedy, and all the upheavals of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, that today, now, we would still be at the gate around issues of race and vote. I wouldn't have believed it. When I speak about young people finding answers to the challenges of the day, it's not really that the civil rights movement ever ended. It took a deep breath for a moment. We don't believe in freedom. Young people who I meet today are a continuum of that history. I'm here because I am part of your history. You called, and I'm here to tell you, those of us who have been on this campaign, who have been in this struggle for over a century, are delighted, happy to be part of this moment. Final analysis, each generation must be responsible for itself. So all I can do is to leave behind the crumbs of my experience. I have a trail that you can follow. If you find value in it, pick it up. And if you don't, bring something better. Folks, um, we interviewed so many different people, and we were culling those interviews, and here is Reverend C.T. Vivian talking about the contribution of Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. Harry, uh, Harry has always been a support and a help for, for, for not only the movement, but for other things as well, right? And uh, uh, and I've liked him ever since uh, ever since I n knew anything about him really uh, 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 is that uh, uh, and I have got a picture down there I know it's uh, 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 and uh, the thing is is that uh, 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 so I know he's always going to help out in any time it comes and he was a real support service to Marvin. All right, folks. Um, Zanola Clayton, who was the secretary of Dr. King, who traveled with Coretta Scott King, she also shared a moment uh, when Dr. King had been assassinated uh, and Harry Belafonte uh, came to her rescue when they were there in the mortuary. We went over to view, and I was, you no, know, Harry Belafonte and his wife and I were the only non-family members everybody else. It's a large family. And I saw them when, he, when they came in. I stepped aside, and Coretta came down, and she had a faint, a faint response, oh, like she was going to collapse. When I walked up to the beer, he looked awful. It looked as if someone had gone and just dug up a big glob of clay and whoop, slapped it upside his face. I was horrified. So I stepped over quietly to the mortician and said, Sir, 
Is there anything you can do to the side of his face? He crashly said, Miss, his jaw was blown off. That's the best I could do. I was shocked. Loudly in the Loudly. presence Loudly. Coretta and all could hear. Oh, I was so, so angry with him. And I finally said, forget him. And I said, something has to be done, because he looked horrible. I mean, this big old glob of stuff. And um, so Coretta and I, they're sitting down. Oh. And I looked at Mama King, that's the mother, who's dark-skinned. And then I saw Belafonte's wife, who was white, and I— uh, back in those years, women always carried loose powder. And I was hoping that's, that they had some. And I said, Mama, can you got any powder? She said, oh, yeah. She gave me her powder, which was dark. Julie, do you have some? And she said, yes. Hers was white. So I took the two and stood over the casket, looking at Martin's face and making myself a little roux of a mixture. Belafonte came over, took his handkerchief, and put it around Martin's neck. And so I'm dabbing to see what I've got here, trying to match the other side of his face to get a balance to it. And I finally got it. And Coretta smiled. And so I'm brushing the excess off of Martin's face. And Belafonte and I never knew what happened to the handkerchief. It was his handkerchief he had taken out of his pocket. Um, and the excess, you know, we folded it up. But he was to stay there till midnight, and then we were moving him to the church uh, for another viewing at 3 a.m. And so I did it again, because the body oxidizes with air. And uh, so I went and did it again. So I did it three times uh, before the actual funeral. Folks, going to a break when we come back. Uh, final segment as we honor reflect on the great Harry Belafonte. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. on the black table with me, Greg Carr. We look at the history of emancipation around the world, including right here in the United States, the so-called end of slavery. Trust me, it's a history lesson that bears no resemblance to what you learned in school. Professor Chris Manjapra, author, scholar, amazing teacher, joins us to talk about his latest book, Black Ghost of Empire the death of slavery, and the failure of emancipation. He explains why the end of slavery was no end at all, but instead a collection of laws. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.